0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Okay, the gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. All righty. Good morning, downtown family. Good good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, meet me there in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I want you to follow along with me. Um, All right, we're going to be talking about discipleship today. We're continuing in our series called DNA. Uh, where we're talking about our core values as a church. And the core value that we're going to talk about today is a big one, uh, discipleship. So I'm super excited uh, to share about that. But before we go any further, let's go before our Lord and pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. Just thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people on this morning. Uh, Move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease so that you may increase, Father God, uh, I pray that you would let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, God, be pleasing in your sight. And I just pray uh, that you would move us uh, to make disciples, Father God, but I pray that you would also just uh, remove any feelings of shame that accompany this because I know a lot of us feel like we can always do more. And a lot of times evangelism talks or shame talks and I pray there wouldn't be that, but I pray that you would move your people to, to be inspired to share your word. And I pray that you would speak to us, illuminate your text, speak to our hearts. Father God, remind us of how much that you love us. It's your mighty son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the spring of 1997, Cassie Bernal went to a youth retreat at the Rocky Mountains that would forever change her life. Um, she wasn't necessarily a, a, a churchy girl. She didn't grow up in church. As a matter of fact, she wrote in her journal that she hated her parents, that she hated God, and that she practiced witchcraft also. And so uh, she wasn't absolutely thrilled about going to this youth camp uh, at the Rocky Mountains, but a friend invited her, so she decided to go. And so she goes to this youth retreat and on that uh, Friday night, one of the youth pastors is speaking and the Lord begins to do something in Cassie Burnell's heart. Um, After he finished speaking, the youth pastor said he saw Cassie weeping and crying and really just uh, broken over her sin. She was bawling and she was saying, "Uh, Lord, uh, forgive me for my sin. And she was confessing and repenting on the spot. It blew everybody away because they knew Cassie, they knew that wasn't her. And on that night, Cassie said yes to Jesus. She said yes to Jesus on that night. The next day, her mom picks her up from youth camp, uh, and she runs and gives her mom a hug. And this blows her mom away. She knows, like, I know my daughter. (laughs) My daughter says she hates me, hates God, hates church, she's practiced witchcraft, what's happening here? This can't be my child. But sure enough, uh, she said yes to Jesus. And her mom said it wasn't this like hyper emotional thing, but she knew that her child had, ma- had had a change happen in her life. And so this happened for about a year that she was continually saying yes to Jesus. Um, April 20th, 1980, 1998, uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold walked into Columbine High School where Cassie and attended and committed one of the most horrific crimes known to America. They, they took the lives of several of their fellow students and a teacher. And one of those students that they walked up to and approached was Cassie. And they asked Cassie, do you believe in God? Gun pointed at her head. Do you believe in God? And Cassie said, Yes. And they asked her, well, why do you believe in God? And they didn't even give her a chance to give the answer. And you know how the rest of the story goes. Uh, She had only been a Christ follower for one year, 1997 to 1998. So she said yes to Jesus for a year. And sometimes you really don't know how long that you have to say yes to Jesus. He gave her one year of saying yes to him. And being a follower and a disciple. And the essence of true discipleship is this. It's coming under the authority of Jesus and saying yes to his will. Uh, In Matthew 4 we see this. Jesus calls his first disciples. He says, drop your nets and follow me. And they follow after him and they say yes. We see this with Jonah. He's running away from God and then he finally stops running away from God and says yes. We see this with the Apostle Paul. He's persecuting the church, killing Christians, and then finally he says, Jesus, yes to your will. The essence of true discipleship is saying yes to Jesus. And once again, we see this with a teenage girl who uh, is confronted with a life or death situation and says, Yes, yes, Jesus. We might not be in that situation like Cassie where we have to make a life a death decision, but every day we have to decide whether or not we're going to say yes to Jesus. We have to decide whether or not we're going to say yes to my kingdom or or the kingdom of God. All of us have to make that decision every day. So I want to pose the question, what does saying yes to Jesus look like for you in this season of your life? How is he calling you to follow him in this particular season of your life? Is the Holy Spirit dealing with you in your finances? Is he he telling you to support or or give or uh, do something in a particular way with your finances? Is Is he telling you to be bold in a particular situation? Is there a place that you need to step up? Right? Is he calling you to show some courage in a particular way? It could be in your family. It may be your particular call to ministry. Maybe God is tugging on your heart and calling you to say yes in a particular area of ministry. And I I dare ask the question, are you even supposed to be in Memphis, Tennessee today? Are you even supposed to be here? Is God calling you to say yes? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I have a feeling that you... Do and the other question is, uh, have you told Jesus no? Have you told him no? Sometimes we give those silent no's, that silent no that nobody else knows about. He says, go share your faith and he say no, no Jesus. Uh, confront that issue in your life, no, no Jesus, and nobody knows about it. Uh, but we all know what it's like to tell the Lord that silent no. And so that's our working definition of a disciple today. A disciple is one who says yes to Jesus for a lifetime. Uh, And and, and this isn't like perfection either. I'm not talking about a person person who's perfect. I'm talking about a person who has seen uh, the beauty and the worth and the value of the Lord and said, yes, I want that. That's what we're talking about. Not talking about perfection here. A person that says, yes, Jesus, I've seen you for who you are, and I count you more valuable than anything else in the world, and I want what you have. That's a true disciple. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get into our passage where Jesus is talking about making disciples. And I just want to go back to that original context for a minute and look at what a true disciple was. Um, In that particular time, in Jesus's day, a disciple was someone who came under a rabbi and said that I wanna learn everything uh, that I can from you. And so this this, uh, rabbi, and everybody had to follow the rabbi for a while when they were kids. Think of it like an elementary school teacher in some kind of way. So everybody had to learn from the rabbi. But certain people said at at a certain point point in their lives that I don't just wanna learn from the rabbi and get the grade, I wanna become like the rabbi. And they will become what they call a Talmid, which is a disciple. And they would, they would kind of put, put in an application and try to say, can I come alongside you and follow you? And some people would get rejected uh, from, from being able to follow this rabbi. And so this rabbi would choose a select few, and they would come alongside him for years. And they would travel with him, and they would sit at his table, and they would learn from him. And he would pour into their life until it got to a certain point where that rabbi would say, okay, now it's time for me to commission you to go out and make more disciples. This was the disciple making model that we see Jesus practicing with the 12. The, the, these people said, I'm going to come under you, come alongside you, and say yes to you. And that's what we see with those first set of disciples. So I want to get into our first point of the day, which is this discipleship begins and ends with God. Discipleship begins. And ends with God. Let's read Matthew 28 again. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, talking to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's letting his disciples know that all of the authority on earth and on heaven has been given to me. I have the keys. Right, God has said I am the one who has the ability to choose I am the one who has the ability to save I am the one who uh, has the ability to do anything and all of the authority on heaven and and on earth has been given to me and so he seeks out and chooses these disciples and here's the difference the rabbis used to make people come to them fill out an application and prove their worth before they can become a disciple and these people had to be some kind of elite people in some kind of way. They would have to have shown some kind of aptitude to be able to become a disciple of one of these rabbis. Jesus flips that system on his head, and he goes after common men. He goes after fishermen. He goes after uneducated men in some ways. He goes after the prostitutes. He goes after the tax collectors. And he chooses his disciples. And this is the heart of our God. Jesus could have chose anyone. He could have found the brightest straight A student in the synagogue, but instead, he recruited a ragtag bunch of people because that's what he does. That's his heart, to seek and save the lost and the broken. And this is not how we think sometimes as Christians in the 21st century. A lot of times we want to go after the most popular, we want to go after the rich and the wealthy, we want to go after the best looking, because we believe if Tom Brady and Jay-Z and Beyoncé got with the gospel and started making disciples, then we could change the world. But that's not how it works. He doesn't need anybody's money. He doesn't need anybody's power. He doesn't need anybody's connections in the city. He doesn't need anybody's looks. He doesn't need my power. He doesn't need your power because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. That's what he's letting his disciples know. So he goes after the self-perceived failure. He goes after the broken. He goes after the mess up, the dropout. He goes after the teenage girl who said that she hated her parents and who paints her nails black. That's who he goes after. he says, I'm going to take that person and turn their life upside down and use them to turn the world upside down. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is good news for you and me because Jesus chooses us to be his disciples. That means that no one can pluck us out of his hands. He gave us this salvation. That means that you can't lose it, I can't lose it, and can't nobody take it from you. You are safe in the hands of God. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And how could we say anything except for yes to a Savior like that? He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, because, and behold, I am with you always, even into the end of this age. He says that I am with you always, friends. This process of discipleship where he saves you and begins to grow you and develop you and bring you to himself, he's in charge of that process, never does he say, okay, you take the driver's seat now, you're in charge of your own salvation. He never puts you in charge of the, of the ship, he, he stays in charge. He's in control and he promises to be with you even into the end of the age. He's holding it all together and molding you at this very moment into the disciple that he wants for you to be. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in, the, them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which leads us to our next point, which is this. Discipleship gives you a new reason to be alive. Discipleship, God's call on your life, gives you a new reason to be alive. He, did he say, because all authority on, on earth and heaven has been given to me, uh, now go live a comfortable life all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me so you guys just sit here and be safe <laughs> uh, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me so go live your best life now no Jesus Christ says all authority on heaven on earth has been given to me in the next word is go He says, I've poured my life into you. I've taught you my word. I've shown you the needs of the world and how much people need my salvation. Go and tell them. You are a disciple. Now go make more disciples. And I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I know it's scary. It's like we talked about and prayed about earlier. Some people are going to be hostile to the message of Jesus Christ. They're not going to want to hear it. Some people are going to think you are closed-minded, whatever, fill in the blank." But he says, I am with you. And everybody that you share with is not going to like what you have to say. But he says, don't be afraid. And you're going to be persecuted, by the way, because discipleship comes with its own set of trials and tribulations. But he says, I'm with you, even until the end of the age. So go and make disciples. Friends, it, the disciple making process gives you a new reason to be alive and life is about making deposits, even though the world would lead us to believe that life is about getting withdrawals, right? Life is about making deposits. It's about making the deposits into other people's lives. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying, I've deposited time into you, I've deposited my word into you. I've deposited my love into you. I've deposited my grace into you. I've deposited the Holy Spirit into you, my power into you, everything into you. I've given you life. So what are you going to do with that? Just sit on it. He says, no, go deposit that into somebody else. And that's what life is about. Life is not about the taking process. It's about making those deposits because that's what the Lord has done for us. He's made deposits into our life. Nobody goes to a funeral and celebrates how much a person took from them. We don't get up and say, man, that brother sure could take. Took my money, took my food, took my time, took everything. That's why I'm here celebrating this life. That brother sure could take. No, that's not what, we don't, we don't, go, we don't, we don't go to funerals like that. And we don't, we don't want people talking about us like that when we're not here anymore. We celebrate a person because of what they gave and what they deposited. Because God deposited them in that life, we said, man, that person deposited into me. They gave me love, they gave me time, they, gave, they, they deposited into my life. And you know what? That's what life is about. It's about taking the grace and the gifts that God has deposited into your life and depositing that into the life of another. As you can see, this gets empty sometimes, so what do you have to do? You have to go back to the source, the one who deposited into you in the first place, right? And we go back to the source of our grace. We go back to the source of our life. And Jesus modeled this for the disciples. He deposited it to them for three years, and once they came to that point of maturity, he says, all right, go. Go make disciples. Go pour into someone else's life what I've poured into you. And I want to encourage someone, because some of you guys may feel like, well, I can't make a disciple. I I don't have anything to pour into somebody else's life. I don't have anything to offer. And a lot of times we feel afraid and timid to to pour into someone else's life, because we don't realize how much God has already poured into us. He's not looking for uh, the most Bible-learned person. He's not looking for a perfect person. That perfect person doesn't exist. He doesn't, he isn't looking for the disciple maker that has it all together. He's looking for you right where you are. There's somebody right now. There's a few steps behind where you are. You may feel like you're some steps behind. There's somebody some steps behind where you are and they need for you to pour into them. I'm thinking of, as Titus said, older women teach younger women. There's some women in this church that need older women to pour into them. It's some older men. You were a knucklehead. You you know what it's like to be a knucklehead. You've been a knucklehead. And there's some young knuckleheads that need for you to pour into them. So hopefully they don't make the same mistakes that you made or that they can learn from the wisdom that you've practiced and gotten to where you are now, using that wisdom. And so uh, you don't have to be at this superior level uh, to pour into someone. And I'm even talking to the kids, elementary age kids for that matter, teenage kids, that which mom has poured into you and what mom and dad teach you at home. You can pour that into your classmates, right? God has deposited into you at a, at a young age already, even teenagers. You guys know a lot of Bible, more than you think you know. And there's somebody that's around you right now that can use what God has deposited into your life. Life it's about making deposits. So I don't wanna ask the question, who has God called you uh, to make a, a deposit into? Just think about that, write a note. And you might already have that person that you're pouring into and you're making deposits into. But if, if not, just, just beg the Lord and seek Him. Lord, who are you calling me to make a deposit into? Maybe a co worker, maybe your, your child that's right in front of you, it may, it may be um, a neighbor. It may be a stranger you meet at the gym. Uh, God is calling you uh, to make deposits into the life of another. Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Not just to make disciples, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. This is what he said uh, to his disciples. He says, Go and make disciples of all nations. That must have been a heavy task, right? They did not have airplanes. Uh, They didn't have cell phones or Wi Fi. So, Jesus, how are we about to get to the nations? All right. Pretty heavy stuff there, pretty heavy call. But he says, all nations. That word, all nations, ta ethne, means ethnic people groups. There are 16,000 ethnic people groups that we know of. And Jesus says, I want somebody from all of them. In Revelation 7 9, we see the picture, the final picture, when every tribe and tongue is surrounded, uh, surrounding the throne of the Lord. And they're worshiping Jesus, and this is the final picture, and so it's gonna happen. But He just wants to get you and I in the game and be a part of the process. And so He's he, He's not uh, uh, hoping that this happens. He knows that this is gonna happen, and we see the final picture in Revelations uh, seven nine. So he says to these these men, go and make disciples of all nations, which leads us to our final point, which is this. Discipleship changes the way that we see other ethnicities. Discipleship changes the way that we see other ethnicities. The world is changing. The world is changing. Christians, church, disciples, the the, the world is changing. What do I mean by that? There is more global migration at this point in history than there's ever been in the history of the world. People are on the move, whether because they're trying to flee a war-torn country, whether they're trying to flee poverty of some kind, people in this world are on the move. Millions of people are on the move. And the question is, as Christians, uh, how are we going to treat them? How are we gonna treat these millions of people across the world that are on the move, fleeing war-torn countries, fleeing poverty, fleeing death, how are we gonna treat them? That's what I mean, the world is changing as we speak like right now. Secondly, the world is changing. Uh, Our cities in America are becoming increasingly diverse. By the year 2052, uh, the country is going to be majority minority. What do I mean by that? There will not be a single ethnic group that makes up more than 50% of the population come year 2050, around that time. Which means you're going to have to really get comfortable with sharing space with people that are different from you. We're not going to be able to hide from each other as much anymore. We're going to have to learn how to, uh, with empathy, love one another and share space in proximity with one another. The world is literally changing. Uh, the cities are coming, becoming more diverse. Uh, and so uh, how are we preparing ourselves and our children for such a future where the world is gonna be so diverse moving forward? And then we talk, we, we talk about these people called unreached people groups. Those are people that haven't heard the gospel at all. They call them UPGs, unreached people groups. They don't have a gospel witness. They don't have a church. And there are thousands of these unreached people groups in the world. But guess what? There are 350 unreached people groups in the United States of America because people are moving, the world is changing. God is like, okay, I called you to make disciples of all nations, I put the ball on the tee for you, uh, American Christians, and put them right here in the United States, and the question becomes, how are you gonna treat those people? Are we gonna view, view those people who are coming to us from all across the world as problems or as opportunities? Are we going to view them as problems or as opportunities? God forbid that we get on a plane, fly over these people's heads, to reach people that are already represented in our city. God forbid that we go across the planet without being willing to go across the street. God has called us to go across the street and to go across the world But, hey, man, it's people right in your neighborhood, and God has called you to make disciples of all nations. They are not problems. They are opportunities. God wants to reach people from every tribe and tongue, and he's put people right in your neighborhood to love. God has brought the nations to us, and we should be thinking of ways to be hospitable and loving to them. Make disciples of all nations. I just want to give us some practical applications as we try to live out this calling in our lives to make disciples. Number one, just be a disciple. Just be a disciple. You have to be a disciple to make a disciple. Like produces like, right? You want to multiply the good news that God is putting into your life and to somebody else. You want to multiply what God has deposited and poured into you into the life of someone else. But before that to happen, you have to be a disciple. You have to be a learner. You have to be that follower. Uh, Like we talked about earlier, those people who got so close to the rabbi, who spent that time with him and, and, and sought his teaching in order that they could follow the will of God, that's how we have to be with the Lord. So you have to be a disciple. You have to be a learner. You have to be a follower of Christ in order to multiply that into someone else. Paul told his disciples, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus is the blueprint. It all begins with him. Like we said earlier, discipleship begins and ends with God. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. So we to latch onto him and follow him and seek his ways, then we can put that into somebody else. So be a disciple, that's first. Secondly, this is practical, just ask someone. Uh, Ask someone to mentor mentor you and to pour into your life. There's somebody around you that knows more than you, whether you believe it or not. Somebody knows more than you and say, hey man, can can you invest some time in me? Whatever that may look like. I mean, be willing to get turned down, but ask someone if you need that in your life right now. Then thirdly, seek out someone. Seek someone to invest in. Like we said earlier, Older guys, you know what it was like to be uh, a, a young knucklehead. And so find a young knucklehead and pour your life into him. Seek someone. Uh, seek someone to share the gospel with. There may be a student, maybe someone at this church, maybe a co-worker, maybe a neighbor. And then lastly, pray for someone. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for an opportunity to make disciples. Have your spiritual antennas on. Be looking for someone that you can pour your life into and share with. Prayer changes things. And you probably can get more done with the prayer than anything else. You you better believe that God has people in this room who need someone to pour into them, and in this community who need someone to pour into them. And all you gotta do is pray for God to just set that up and and make that happen and and to begin to uh, change their life, because it's ultimately Him that's gonna change them, not you, so you can even take that pressure off yourself. back in 2010 when i was a senior at the university of memphis i had the privilege to go on a mission trip to brazil for eight weeks we were down there doing college ministry on a campus called Puki. it was a pretty cool name uh went to Puki uh to do college ministry on their campus and uh it was pretty simple we went there to build relationships with students on campus in brazil and with hopes of sharing the gospel with them that was like that was the plan and so we did that any way we could. I played soccer every day. I never grew up playing soccer, but I played soccer every day in order to build relationships with some guys uh, down there at Pookie. And so met this one guy by the name of Samuel. And we were cool. God, I believe God really gave me favor with Samuel uh, and his friends. And so we were hanging out. Uh, we would do Bible studies, the group that I was with. We would do Bible studies at our house, but we'd try to make it social as well. So we'd have like, we had a volleyball net, we had a swimming pool, we, we had meals, and we'd invite people over and we'd have a good time and uh, do Bible studies. And so we invited Samuel over, and Samuel just, you know, being himself, and I, and I love that. And he, he, he showed up thinking this was a party, party, party. Samuel shows up with two bottles of Smirnoff, and he's ready to throw down. All right, and I'm like, all right all right, Samuel, but Samuel shows up, uh, and we're hanging out, and um, we begin to transition things, and we're going to have this, we're about to start the Bible study, (laughs) and Samuel says, hold on, this is a Bible study, and I was like, oh, man, I was like, here we go, here's the moment, I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about Jesus here in a minute, (laughs) and his man, he looked like a deer in headlights, Man, he, he was like, he got on his phone and he called somebody. He got a ride so fast and got out of there. Like, I'm not messing with this American dude no more. What is he doing? I thought this was a party. And so for about a month, it just was awkward whenever I saw Samuel on campus. Uh, and so a month goes by and God was still putting him on my heart. And so I had a prayer journal, and in that prayer journal I wrote Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and the rest of these things to be added to you. And I would pray that for Matt, for Samuel. I was like, Lord, help Samuel to seek first Your kingdom. He don't want this right now. He want nothing to do with you or your people, as I can, as I perceive it. And. Um, and I'm praying this for him for a month, every day. Uh, I pray for Samuel, and I felt like the biggest failure. I'm like, man, nobody's coming to the Lord. I'm just out here in Brazil and raise all this money to come down here. This is a waste of time. Uh, and but I'm praying daily for Samuel for about a month. Our last night in Brazil, we had this testimony night where people get up and share what they've learned and what God has been doing in their life this summer. And Samuel shows up. Like, what are you? What are you here for? You, you dipped out the whole month. And uh, he, he gets up and shares. He says, for the past month, the Lord has been putting this Bible verse on my heart. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, uh, I'm a he, he, Samuel, I didn't know this at the time. Samuel was a pastor's kid. He said, I'm a pastor's kid. I've been running for, from God for a while. And, but God has been putting it on my heart to seek his kingdom. And true story, I mean, I follow him still on social media. He gave his life to the Lord, started a beach ministry where he'd go on the beach and share the gospel with other people. And he did that for a while. And what that showed me in that moment as a 22-year-old on this mission trip is that it's prayer changes things and that God is still saving people. We, we can sometimes fall into this illusion, man, and nobody's getting saved, nobody's coming to Christ. This is a waste of my time. No, God desires to save people, and God is saving people. And a lot of your strategies, we had all these strategies, all that strategy, blah, blah, blah. That don't matter as much as God himself doing the work in a person's life and changing their life and saving them and transforming them from the inside out. Jesus is, is still saving people. And we can share the good news. We have good news. That Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose. And he is still pursuing people to this day. And just like my sister prayed earlier, Lord, give us opportunities, God, to share that good news message. And I want to encourage you, if you're in this room, if you don't know Jesus yet, you can say yes to him today. He is still saving. He still wants to transform your life. He's still in the business of transforming lives, and he is still good, and he still sits on the throne. And he's called you and me to be disciples and to go and make disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus name. God, thank you for just loving us. We really give you no reason to love us. Uh, we, we fail and we fall every day, but you find it in your heart to save and transform lives. And Father God, I pray that you would continue to do that in this church. Lord God, that you would continue to do that in this city. And Father God, I pray that you would uh, show us who we are to share your good news with. God, show us who we are to deposit our lives into. And, God, when we pour ourselves out and get tired and weary, teach us to run back to you again so that you can fill us up and so that we can overflow into other people. God, teach us to say yes. Show us to say yes. Show us how to say yes to you and to be your disciple. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.